Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody this morning as we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Don't you stand with us? We're going to give him praise this morning. We're going to give him glory. Not because of what we want from him or what he's done yesterday or the day before, but because of just simply who he is. He's worthy. He's the same power. He's the same God that was yesterday, today, and forevermore. The same God that rose Jesus from the dead. The same power. The same
above all there's no throne above yours there's no throne above yours or you answer to no one my God you answer to no one my father my king you are sovereign in all your ways you've given us the victory you are our champion and your promises are ever true you're not a man that you should lie you have no no, no, no capability of lying.
you with an open heart. We come before you, Father. God, we cry for revival time and time again, but Lord, Lord, it starts with our hearts. It starts in our hearts. God, if we have anything that we hold, that we're white-knuckling, that we won't let go, God, Father, just look inside. Lord, we open up our hearts, every crack and crevice of our lives, of our hearts, and look and shine the light in it, God, as we lay it before you, and let your purifying fire wash us clean. Oh, bring the junk, bring the trash, bring all the stuff that we think that we that you can't see to the top, that you can scoop it off, that you can purify us, make us pure and holy in your sight. He forgives, find us on our knees, Father, come remind. What your church could be Notions of your justice Mercy like a stream And heaven's feeling over Flooding through our streets God, would you forgive us Find us on our knees Father, come remind us What your church could be Oceans of your justice, mercy like a stream, and heaven spilling over, flooding through our streets. God, would you forgive us? God, would you forgive us? Oh, God, would you forgive us? Oh, Lord, God, would you forgive us? Oh, God, please forgive us for coming with our own agenda. Oh, God, would you forgive us for not laying it all down? Oh, God, would you forgive us? For not living all for you, oh God, would you forgive us? Oh, for not laying it all down, oh God, would you forgive us? Oh, oh Lord, God, would you forgive us? God, would you forgive us? Reach out your hand and 
God, would you revive us? Oh, come and revive your church, Lord. Oh, God, would you revive us? Lord, we hungry for revival. Oh, reach out your hand and touch us, Lord. Oh, touch us, Lord, touch us, Lord. Oh, reach out your hand and awaken us. Awaken us, Lord, awaken us. Oh, God, would you revive us, Lord? Oh, come and revive us, Lord. Oh, God, would you forgive us, Lord? Oh, forgive us, Lord, forgive us. Oh, God, would you forgive us? Find us all on our knees. Father, come remind us what your church should be. Oceans of your justice, mercy like a stream. Heaven spilling over, flooding through our streets. God, forgive us. God, would you forgive us? time we're going to transition into a time of prayer and here at Life Church we believe in prayer we believe that prayer changes things and at Life Church when we pray it's the participation part of the service and so this morning we're going to talk about we're going to pray about three topics we're going to pray as I was in prayer this morning privately I was, I was asking the Lord God what is it what's your heart this morning and immediately the word reconciliation in relationships came to my mind and so we're going to pray for that that God would bring reconciliation to all types of relationships family relationships old relationships that God would bring reconciliation we're also going to pray that God would give us a heart for the community God what is the place how can we reach this community and lastly we're going to pray that God would empower the church the corporate church and the local church but let's start in echoing that song let's position our heart by asking God to forgive us are you ready this morning God, we just come before you today, this morning, and we ask for forgiveness, God. Lord, we ask for forgiveness because of our apathy, oh God. We ask for forgiveness because of our selfishness, oh God. God, we ask for forgiveness this morning. God, your word says that a broken and contrite spirit you will not deny. And so we ask you this morning to forgive us. Forgive us, God forgive us because we've overlooked the broken God forgive us because we have sinned against you oh God forgive us this morning Jesus as we position our hearts towards you today we ask that you would forgive us God forgive us and help us today we pray for the reconciliation of relationships. Let's stay in that vein this morning. God, we pray that you would reconcile relationships, reconcile broken families. God, right now that it would begin today, the reconciliation of broken friendships, the 
reconciliation of relationships. God, you redeem those friendships. You redeem those relationships. God, those broken families, you bring reconciliation and you bring redemption, Lord. God, we pray. We pray that you are the mender of hearts, oh God. And we ask that this morning, that you redeem and reconcile relationships, God. We just thank you that you hear us when we pray. We thank you that prayer changes things. And God, I pray that you redeem relationships, Lord. Bring reconciliation. God, give us a heart for the community. Let's pray that this morning. God, that as we as we drive through Lafayette, as we drive through Lafayette Parish, Acadia Parish, Lord, Evangeline Parish, Lord, give us a heart for the community, oh God. Lord, just like your word said that you looked upon the lost as sheep without a shepherd, oh God. That our heart would break for those who are far from you. That our heart would break for what breaks yours, oh God. Give us a heart for the community. Give us wisdom. Give us ideas. Give us a way to reach the community, God. To be the hands and feet of Jesus. Even in this time, in Christmas, whenever this time and season is not so great for so many people, God, help us to be the light. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Give us a heart for the community, God. Give us a heart for those who are far from you. Give us a heart for the lost and the broken and the dying, oh God. Change our heart. Break our heart for what breaks yours, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we ask this morning that you empower your church. God, baptize your church. Baptize people with the Holy Spirit, God, and fire. God, set your church ablaze right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask that you would pour out fire on your church, on the corporate church. Lord, we ask that you would baptize your church afresh. Baptize the people, believers afresh, God. Pour out your spirit without measure, Lord. Pour out your spirit and empower believers, Lord to step into the destiny that you've called them to. God, pour out your spirit afresh upon your church, God. God, empower your church to rise up and be the bride that you've called. Empower your church to stand for righteousness, to stand for truth, oh God. Lord, baptize believers in the Holy Ghost, Lord. Lord, give them the give them the power to reach the lost Lord baptize them with the physical evidence of speaking in tongues God fill them with power this morning God thank you Lord and if you're filled with the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues just do that this morning right now as we're in this portion of service just cry out to God cry out to Jesus thank you Lord thank you for your power God thank you for your Holy Ghost Lord thank you for your move thank you that you hear us when we pray, oh God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. We worship you and we honor you. Forgive us, oh God. Forgive us this morning. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for the injustices. Forgive us for the selfishness in our heart. Forgive us, God. Change us. In Jesus' mighty name. And we all agree by saying, amen. Praise God. Hey, why don't you greet somebody around you? Why don't you tell them hello as you find your seat? 
this morning and welcome them to service today. Well, good morning, Life Church. How are you doing this morning? Good. Well, it's so great to see you. It's so great to be here and to see all of you here this morning. I want to welcome you to service. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and I want to make sure that you feel welcome, you feel right at home. And for those of you, if this is your first time here at Life Church, we want to connect with you. We want to get to know you. We'd ask that you visit the Welcome Center after church. We've got a free gift for you. We ask that you fill out a connect card. We use these cards to help you find your special place in our family and help you find your fit in the kingdom. So we encourage you to visit the Welcome Center after service. We've got a special gift for you. We want to bless you, get to know you, and help you find your place in the kingdom. I also have a couple of announcements and reminders. Hey, uh, this Saturday, look at somebody and say this Saturday. This Saturday, uh, we're doing the women's Christmas party. So that's going to be at Dino's on Bertrand. So that's going to be a fun time. Uh, you got to bring some Christmas socks. So bring some Christmas socks, gift wrap. We're going to have games. It's going to be a great time. Um, at Dino's on Bertrand, that's going to be from 3 to 5. So at Dino's on Bertrand, we do have the room reserved. And so that's going to be an awesome time to celebrate Christmas, Christmas with the ladies going to be a good time. And for the men, on December 18th, we're going to be doing a chili cook-off and a gumbo cook-off. So that's going to be December 18th at 5 p.m. That's going to be at Youngsville First Assembly. All the information at the Welcome Center to sign up. If you think that you are the man to take the trophy, you got the culinary giftings, hey, I encourage you to sign up because I will be there. Last year I went and I, I tasted and I ate and man, it was great. The food was great. They have a, a speaker and so a great time of food, fellowship. How many of you know that's the second best thing about ministry is food, right? Come on, somebody. December 19th, I wanted to remind you guys about that. That's going to be our Christmas program. Immediately following our Christmas program that the kids put on, We'll be doing gumbo after. And we go, man, that's a great thing about the holiday season is all the food. How many of you waddled in here after Thanksgiving? Oh, come on. Don't get all dignified on me this morning. So December 19th, immediately following the Christmas program, uh, we'll be eating gumbo and having a time of fellowship. We just ask that you would bring a dessert so you can visit the Welcome Center. You can sign up. You can let us know what you're bringing. I love desserts. I love sweets. So all this is going to catch up with me one day. But, hey, I'm in my early 30s right now, so I'm partying. I'm living the dream. Hey, how many of you know we're blessed to be a blessing? 2 Corinthians 9-11 says you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And we take your gifts to those who need them, and they will thank God. Hey, we've got four opportunities for you to partner with God in giving here at Life Church. We've got boxes on the back wall. We've got the text to give feature. We've also got the giving option on our website, and we've got a Life Church app. So we want you to have every opportunity to partner with God in giving, and we encourage you to do so. How many of you are ready for the word this morning? Oh, come on, that's weak. How many of you are ready for the word? Amen. 
Amen. Anybody lose a black guitar pick? I'm going to put it over here for you, Justin. I don't know if it's yours, but I don't need it this morning. <laughs> Praise God. Well, it's good to be home. Uh, bring this down just a little bit. I'm a little hoarse, but I don't. That's because I'm yelling at football games yesterday. <laughs> and, uh, but um, uh, we were gone last weekend. My wife and I usually take off Thanksgiving, part of Thanksgiving week. We didn't actually get to leave until uh, Wednesday evening. And uh, God was in that, believe it or not. And I won't go into great detail, but uh, we were supposed to left Tuesday morning. Things didn't work out that way. We made a choice to stay home. And, and as it was, uh, we actually had a break-in here at the church while I was in the building. And, uh, and it ended up with the police and dogs and everything for hours on the end that night. So it was a good thing in the way that we were here. Otherwise, I'd have been getting calls from uh, Gulf Shores or Foley, Alabama about break-ins. And so, but the Lord was in all of that. I know it sounds crazy, but he was in all of that. And uh, um, Sunday uh, or Saturday, Fridays, I don't remember, the pastor at the church in Foley, where they have a house that they, a couple houses they make available for full-time pastors uh, free of charge to get away. And so we always come on Thanksgiving week and in, in, uh, take four, five, six days. And, um, but they asked word because his right eyelid just suddenly closed and he couldn't open it. And after seeing a doctor, they said there's like a little, like a Venetian blind, a low cord in your eyelid and it snapped. And so he, and he was, he's almost blind in his other eye. Uh, from diabetes so he couldn't see so he they asked me to preach sunday morning sunday night and then his wife has a large sunday school class adult class asked me to preach sunday morning so by sunday night i was exhausted needing a vacation and we we're supposed to come back on tuesday morning but sunday night at the end of service he he announced he said pastor bob would you prayerfully consider staying uh through wednesday night and i said well i don't know I called Brother Josh, and, and, and we had to make some th changes and things like that. But God was in that, too, because what we didn't know was that Tuesday night about midnight, his oldest granddaughter would be almost killed and, uh, uh, from uh, her drug-addicted husband. And she was airlifted to the hospital. She was dragged about a half a mile down the road by a car. And even within 24 hours, less than 24 hours, they had said that they listed all the surgeries that were going to take place. Every bone, jaws broken, uh, arms, shoulders, pelvis, legs, uh, you name it. And by that afternoon, with the help of two nurses, with a broken foot, broken leg, pelvis, she walked to her bathroom. And, and so God has just been working miraculously. But they said, thank God, Pastor, you are here. And we, my wife and I weren't going to stay, but we looked at each other. And I told them, I said, I won't tell you tonight. I'll tell you tomorrow on Monday. I said, because I'm too tired to make a decision. How many of you know you make decisions when you're tired? Sometimes they're bad decisions. And so uh, Monday evening, my wife and I had prayed about it. And we said, we feel like God is in this. We'll stay. 
And so we made the arrangements to come home Thursday. And they said, thank God you were here. Because they had been up all night long with the police and hospitals. And, 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 and uh, so how many of you know it's great to have the Holy Spirit who can speak to you and, and lead you and direct you? And, and you say, well, um, did you get rested? Not really. <laughs> But the change of scenery is nice once in a while, right? <laughs> and uh, but I was glad to get home to my bed, amen. And uh, but you know, God's just been opening doors of opportunities, and I wish I had time to tell the stories. I had an opportunity this this week to witness to uh, a new doctor that I began to see um, about uh, my how my son was healed of stage four cancer. And he just looked at me, and he said, tell me that again. And I told him, he said, I believe that. I said, you ought to believe that. You need to believe that. And, uh, I, and, and I, I, I was just like, praise God. And Brother Glenn was just telling me that he had, a, uh, there he is, Brother Glenn had a, an appointment today, some, I mean, the other day was someplace, and he said, Lord, I just don't see any fruit coming out of me coming here. And he led the nurse to the Lord. Yeah. <clears throat> awesome, isn't it? I mean, see, the, the harvest is ready. The, the harvest is ready. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest. He'll send laborers into the field. And it's one of the reasons that we have uh, the Light Lops evangelism team training to teach people how to just, how to be a light and how to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, anyway, uh, as I prepared to teach the Sunday school class over there, <clears throat> adult class, um, they said, we're in the book of Isaiah and we want you to teach from Isaiah. <laughs> and I said, thanks. I said, make it hard enough that I gotta <clears throat> be very specific about this. So I prayed and God began to speak to me and actually gave me like three, four messages out of this one chapter, this one area. And I'm going to do this one this week and, and, and the other half next week. And I don't know what I'll do after that. But anyway, it's going <clears> to, <throat> and I've simply titled this, God's Promise is a Sign. In fact, you're going to see this on our sign out front, uh, a video. And every week, it's changing words. This week has hope on there. Next week will probably be, it's probably going to be peace. The next week will be joy. And uh, the last, I, I forgot what the last week is. But um, because God's promise is a sign. I hope I can convey this to you in the right way. But this, before I get into the main part of it, I need to give you a preface here. Because this has been stirring in me for a couple of weeks. And then as I began to study Isaiah again, <clears throat> most people are familiar with one or two or three main passages out of the book of Isaiah, which is one of, one of the largest books in the Old Testament. Uh, so many prophetic words and prophecies there. But most people know Isaiah 6, a little bit about Isaiah 6. And it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, um, I saw the Lord high and lifted up in his train or his glory filled the temple. And we know the whole story. And he, all of a sudden, Isaiah feels that he's condemned. He said, woe is me. I'm an unclean man with unclean lips living among an unclean people. Uh, he said, I'm, in other words, I'm doomed to die. And God sends an angel with a coal off the altar and touches his tongue. 
And, and the next thing you know, he's called of God. Okay? And, I mean, it's a powerful story. And we could preach several times from that. But one thing that most people don't realize is it says that King, when, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah was grieving. And the reason he was grieving was Uzziah had served, ruled for 52 years. That's a long time. Um, 52 years is a long time for anyone to rule. And all of a sudden, he was dead. And for the majority of his lifetime, he was a good ruler. And it was in the latter, the latter years that he began lifted up with pride. And, he, and because of that, God struck him with leprosy. And he actually, he could not rule. And so his son, Jotham, had to rule basically in proxy through his, because his dad had to be away from everybody because he had leprosy. And so, um, uh, but when Uzziah died, the whole world, as Isaiah had been brought up to know, in fact, most people don't know, Isaiah was, was Uzziah's first cousin. And so he had not only a family relationship, but this had been the king for over a half a century. And now he's dead. And, and what, what, what history shows us is that once he died, everything flipped upside down. Everything as people had known it uh, was suddenly changing. And, and there were political changes on the horizon. There were uh, geographical, uh, uh, geopolitical things that were going on, wars that were about to break out. Uh, no, 52 years somebody rules, there's a sense of security that comes in. All of a sudden, that's ripped away, and nobody knows who's going to lead, what's going, what they're going to do, or anything else. And so Uzziah was on his face before God, grieving at the loss, I mean, Isaiah was, because grieving at the loss of Uzziah. And he says, and it was in that time that he saw the Lord. He had a revelation of God. And I have to tell you something that's Holy Spirit's been saying to me, this is what's happening in America today, in the United States today. And the problem is that so many people alive today cannot see it. And I've explained this several times is that we tend to view our life or we view things from what we know. And if you've only been alive this amount of time, then you've, you gauge everything from this starting point to now. But if you've been alive this amount of time, You've seen the change from here to here, or you've seen the stability, or you've seen all of those things. And what's happening in America is that so many don't see what's taking place firsthand because they've not experienced it firsthand, or they've been taught history that's been completely revised from what was the truth. And so Isaiah was grieving over this, and, and I felt the Holy Spirit saying, America, he said, the church needs to recognize this, that America and the world, not just America, but uh, the world is in need of those that will be grieved enough to begin to seek God and that they will be grieved enough that they will catch a glimpse of the almighty God and hear and answer the call to be a voice in today's culture that they will speak up 
And I, this is what I've been praying for this past week. I've been praying, God, would you bring revelation to individuals in your church that they would have an Isaiah encounter that they would they would be so moved, they would be so grieved by what was happening. And Brother Josh, you talked about that, that are we sorry? We, we need to recognize God forgive us for our apathy and, and, and the fact that we're just letting things slide and we're okay and the world's going to hell, but we're going to heaven and that kind of attitude. And he says, that's got to change. He said, would you dare pray that, that people would begin to call upon me and seek me and I will reveal myself to them in such a way that they will say, I have seen the Lord and I cannot be quiet anymore. Now, that's not even my message. <clears throat> but I had to give you that preface. Because when we read the Bible, sometimes we just think it, it just happens day after day after day after day. And in Isaiah 6, we see the calling of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, where we're going to pick up this morning, the first 14 verses of it, it, it you would think it just happens like, next week or the next day or whatever. And really, that's not true. From the time that Isaiah says, Lord, here I am, send me, to the first record that we have of Isaiah being sent, there's a 16-year span. Because Jotham, his son, rules um, and after Uzziah dies. And then after that, he dies. And, and the, the next son comes in, and he's not a good ruler, okay? But here's, here's my point. Between chapter 6 and chapter 7, of Isaiah being called and Isaiah getting his first mission, 16 years go by. And, and if you're wondering why, it's because God's calling comes with a time of preparation for the mission. And, and, and the church needs to understand this that it's not just an instant call and out you go. Now, there are things that you can do instantly. You can tell, hey, I met this man, <laughs> Jesus, and, and, and <clears throat> he saved me and all that. You can do that. But I'm talking about answering the call in the way that Isaiah, it took 16 years to prepare him for, for, for when we see that God calls him, that it's recorded for us. And if you don't believe that, Jesus, the Son of God, spent 40 days in the wilderness before he began his public ministry. He was preparing as he was growing up. He had instances where he, they found him teaching, we know that, but we don't know what happened between like his 12th, 13th year and when he started his public ministry. But even before he started his public ministry, after he was baptized, he was driven into the wilderness. Remember, he goes into the wilderness and then he comes out. He was there 40 days and nights fasting and before the Lord before he does one miracle. And I'm just telling you that God's calling comes with a time of preparation for the mission that he calls you to. And along the way, he may give you submissions in other words, small missions. And he says, and the Bible says, he who is faithful in little will be given much. And so be faithful in the little that God gives you and God will promote you. I mean, I could stop right there, but I'm not gonna stop right there. So in Isaiah 7, beginning with chapter one, here's, here's 
I had to give you the preface of 6 so you understand the historical outline. <clears throat> Isaiah, his first mission, really, that God sends him on, he is thrust into this, this, the middle of a pol volatile political nightmare. If you don't know it, the history of Israel, there was a period of time for many years that Israel became divided. They had what was known as the northern kingdom, what was known as Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. And the house became divided, basically. The country became divided. So in verse 1, here's what it says of chapter 7. It says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham. Remember, I mentioned um, there was Uzziah, and then Jotham took over because Isaiah, uh, I mean, Uzziah had leprosy. So then when Uzziah died, Jotham became king. And now we see in chapter 7, it says, And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham. So Jotham has died, and now Ahaz, his son, has become king. Okay, so it says, um, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of J J Uzziah, king of Judah. See, we read that in the Bible, and we just skip past all of that because it doesn't make sense. But when you understand it in the context, it does. There's three generations there. And he goes on and says, that reason the king of Syria and Pekah the son, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it. See, we, we don't understand that, but Israel was the northern kingdom. And so it goes up to war is the, is the common term. Actually, they would have been coming down to war against Jerusalem. You say, why would Israel go to war against Jerusalem? Because that was Judah. Two different nations, two different countries. They were separated by political powers. Different tribes belong of the, Israel, of the different tribes of Israel. Some belong to the northern kingdom, some belong to the southern kingdom. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm trying to give you the historical context. So it says, um, he, so he says, they're coming to war um, against, uh, uh, against Israel, towards Jerusalem, to war against it, but they could not prevail. In other words, they, they said, and I'm going to explain the motive here. They went to war, but Judah kept repelling, repelling their, their attacks. And then verse 2 says, And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people, speaking of Ahaz, who's ruling over Judah, he says, were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. In other words, from like the blowing of a fierce wind, they were waved back and forth. Their hearts were not steady. They were moved by all that was going on, all that they heard. And, and, um, and what you have to understand is that in northern Israel, you had Syria on its border, and and so they're told, they're being told that Syria's forces are being deployed. And, and in other words, so not only have we failed in attacking Judah, but Syria is now on our border too. Now we got issues on two fronts. What are we going to do? This, how many of you know this is, this is just like normal history, okay? And, and, uh, but God is in all of this. And I want to stop for a moment and point something out. And that is simply this, that all of us, say all, Look at your neighbor and go, that means you. <laughs> All of us at some point in our lives will face desperate times. All of us. Jesus didn't promise you Disneyland. You know? 
All kinds of circumstances can combine to bring us to the brink where our options are few and time is running out. Anybody ever been there? Thank you very much for the few that said, truthfully, you've been there. Some of you are right there now. You're teetering on the precipice right now. You're like, I don't even know which way to go. I, I, if I could fall down, I'd fall down, but I'm not even sure I have room to do that. I mean, that's where some of you are. <clears throat> but there were three factors that brought about these desperate times in the time of Ahaz, okay? And the first is this, that the man, the leader himself was fickle. In other words, he had no stability. He was not established. What you have to understand is he took over when he was 20 years old. Imagine your 20-year-old running the country. <laughs> Some of you said they can't even run their own lives, never mind, you know, the country. But he was 20 years old, okay? I mean, it was, so it's at some point, he's in his early 20s here, and his, his nation is facing grave national crisis. Now, he had a, a, a godly father and a godly grandfather for the most part, but as often is the case, and this is why we put such a great importance upon children's ministry and ministry to our students and youth and everything else, because as often as the case is in the scripture and even in real life, the children of the godly don't necessarily follow that same path. Because I can tell you as a youth pastor and as a pastor for many years, that every generation that you talk to, if I asked right now, how many of you think that your parents were old-fashioned? Let me see your hands. Come on, be honest. Don't lie in church. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, every generation thinks their parents were old-fashioned. And so what happens, and I've used this illustration before, if this is the standard, the godly standard, then what, well, let me start on this side because that, that's the right side, <laughs> okay? My right side. <laughs> anyway, if this is the standard, the next generation says they were old fuddy-duddies, we're, we're more knowledgeable, understanding, more enlightened, whatever. So this, that generation steps here. And then that generation comes up with kids and their parent, and they go, oh, my folks, they just don't, you know, they're old, they don't know nothing, and, and they step here. And then the next generation steps up and they step here. And every generation tends to move further to the left from where their parents were. And so oftentimes in Old Testament, you hear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but look at the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they, and each generation from Abraham received the promise, and Isaac, and then Jake, they, they all moved away from the path that their father was on. And so, for example, just a personal example, and my, my wife and I, both of our parents were alcoholics. And um, I was raised in a house where we bought wine, but, but you know, four one-gallon cases and stacked them in the corner and... You know, we were Italian men, you know, wine was acceptable at dinner, that, but all my parents, my, both my parents became alcoholics. And, and um, my, my wife's father was an alcoholic. He died an alcoholic. And um, well, my wife and I would once in a while, like once a year on our anniversary, we'd have a little glass of wine just to celebrate our anniversary. 
But you know, when our children came along, we said, we know the principle here. And if we say this is okay once in a while, then our kids will come along and go, it's okay once every few days, and then their kids will come along. So my wife and I went all the way back over here and said, no, be filled with the Spirit. Be overfilled with the Spirit. Now, I'm not casting, listen, I am not judging you. I'm just telling you personally how we applied this to our lives. And, and, and because I just know how it is. I, they just move, they just have a tendency to do that. And so this is what happened to Ahaz and, and that, that he moved away from the path of his forefathers. And unless a child personally investigates and chooses a relationship with God, they will one day leave home and, and they'll have a hollow devotion that will thin out quickly when the real world comes. And it'll be replaced with nominal Christianity, okay? And so perhaps Ahaz thought his folks were old, his dad and granddad were old-fashioned, old school. He's going to bring in a new era, new thinking, new... Th this is what's happening in America today. We've moved away from the, the Judeo-Christian foundation, and, we, and the church was silent for too long. And so those with the voice became in the upper echelons of pol political influence and educational influence, and they have trained up generations who no longer believe in God, no longer believe in right and wrong or standards of any kind. I was told this week that uh, the pastor has a radio station program that he's had for 35, 40 years, whatever, he said, he said, your preaching this week was like old-timey preaching. I said, well, I don't know. I'm not that old. I'm old, but I ain't that old. He said, because he, he's naming all these people, I said, they all dead. <laughs> I ain't dead. He said, man, but I've I, I'm going to take your messages for the past four services, and we're going to put them on our radio broadcast, and I'm going to tell the people, here's some old-time preaching by a preacher that's still alive. I said, I'm glad. I said, I'm glad you put that still alive part on there, you know. And um, but I know I know this that that Ahaz was thoroughly secular. Second Kings 17 and 2 talks about that. He may have had a religious understanding, but he hadn't he had no personal um, faith in which to resolve crisis. So he fell back on his political political networking and expediency. Okay, and so when trouble came, he had no spiritual resources in which to fall back on. Can I tell you something? In the days of trouble, you better know God. You better know the Lord Jesus, and you better be able to hear Holy Spirit when he speaks because when days of trouble come, and listen, right now, there are voices everywhere out there. They're telling you this, telling you this, telling you this, telling you this. You better be able to hear the word of the Lord. And uh, Ahaz had not spent time hearing God. Instead, he had, he had planned, he had watched the political maneuverings of other kings and rulers and stuff, and he fell back onto that. And 2 Kings 16 and 2 says this, 
And it was told, well, that's not the verse I wanted. It says, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. And there are times that you end up in desperate times because your leadership is fickle. The second reason they were in desperate times is because the leader was filled because of a fearful assault that was going to come his way. In 734 BC, Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel joined forces to invade Judah. Now, the northern Israel had invaded several times, and actually history shows they had carried off close to a quarter million captives, but they'd never been able to conquer Judah. So northern Israel decides, hey, we can't do this on our own. Syria's up here about to attack us. So let's join forces, and together we can go down and capture Judah, okay? And the, they had an ulterior motive behind that. And that's because the nation of Assyria, not Syria, but Assyria, was growing. And its military might, they were going from city to city, territory to territory, and taking at will whomever they would. So now you got northern Israel who can't get Judah by himself, and Syria that's growing, and they say, let's make an alliance, and then we'll go down and capture Judah, and then what we'll do is we'll put in somebody who's on our side on the throne down there. And when we do that, now we'll have Syria and us and Judah and all our forces to help come against us, Syria, because we know ultimately they're going to attack us. Okay? That's what they see. That's what they're already doing. And Isaiah 7, 2 says this. His heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. In other words, panic had set in. Fear had set in because of an imminent invasion. I'm telling you, I could stop and change this whole direction right now and say this is happening all around the world. Because all of a sudden, whereas people started to relax, all of a sudden, now we're hearing Omicron. Fear. Here it comes again. And I'm just telling you, it's an invasion. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything that is fake or not. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying the fear part is a greater enemy than anything else. Because fear rules people's lives. Every bit of it, every decision, every, everything. And, and so you've got a 20-year-old king who's fearful and, 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 and he's fickle. And not only that, he comes up with this foolish solution. Okay, so we've already talked about that Syria has tried to invade Judah, can't do it. So they say, let's make a treaty with I mean, uh, northern Israel has tried. They can't do it. So they make a treaty with Syria and said, together we can go down against Judah and we can depose the king that's there, Ahaz. We'll put somebody on the throne that we like <clears throat> because us, Syria, is a greater threat to all of us put together. All right? So Ahaz sees this and he, see, he hears Syria and northern Israel are joining forces. And now he's thinking... What am I going to do? He said, he says, I've got, I've got an idea. They're making a coalition. I'll make a coalition. Except his alliance wasn't against Assyria. 
his alliance was with Assyria. In other words, take the big, big bad bulldog on the street and become friends with him so that the other two would be smaller. But how many of you know that that's a little bit crazy thinking? I mean, it's, it's kind of like the cat. It's kind of like the mouse trying to ask the cat to help him fight the two rats. And the cat does that, and then he eats the mouse. You know, I mean, really. And so you can hear the desperation, and Ahaz's voice. He's saying, if Syria and Israel join together, they'll take over us. I'll be removed or imprisoned or killed. But maybe if I can buy Assyria's goodwill and sending them tribute, in other words, sending them money, and submit to them before they take us by force, I'll survive in Judah. In other words, this king wasn't worried about his nation. He's worried about self-preservation. And that's the motive behind everything that he's doing. Can I tell you that's not far off from where people are living today? I'm going to do what I have to do to survive. And that comes out of a fear mentality. It really does. And so in the, in the end, the mis, this choice that he makes ends up not only being a bad choice for him, but his whole nation. And verse 3 tells us, that the king is so concerned that he has people plus himself out there carefully inspecting the, the critical water supply to Jerusalem. And if you know anything about Bible history or history in the past, if, if an enemy could cut off the water supply coming into a city, you could have the best walls and the best militia but the, if the army can cut off your water supply, eventually you're going to surrender. And so he's, he's thinking, we got to make sure our water supply is safe. And, and this is where Isaiah shows up at this point. So all this other stuff's been taking place, and then the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah, and this is his first mission. You would think God would give Isaiah a, a, a try, you know, like, a, like this, is, this is a tryout mission, you know. Go, go to the guy and say, fear not, I love you. You know, you know, fear not, I'm on your side, that kind of thing. But instead, he's thrown into the middle of this, this political, geopolitical chaos. And this is where Isaiah comes. Now, to save time, I'm going to give you the summary of verses 3 through 9 of chapter 7. And really what it simply does is God tells Isaiah, and, and, and I don't know why he did it. And honestly, I never read it. I mean, I've read it, but didn't read it. How many of you know God sticks things in the Bible sometimes? You know, and you go, when did he put that in there? I've read this a hundred times, you know. And uh, I read it, and I went, when did he do that? And, and so I went back and looked, and God tells Isaiah, take your son. And take your son, he names his son, and he says, go meet Ahaz. And he, he's very specific. God tells him where to meet the king. He tells him, he goes down at the end of the road at the upper pool to the road to Fuller's Field. That's pretty specific. And so Isaiah says, hey boy, feel like a road trip. Let's go. Takes his hand and off they start walking. And God basically tells Isaiah to tell Ahaz, 
Calm down, chill out, if we could put it in our vernacular, right? <laughs> don't be afraid, don't be faint-hearted, because those two smoldering stubs of firebrands, and that's what the Bible calls them, of Aram and son of Ramallah. He says, don't worry about them. Don't be fearful about them. God reveals to Isaiah what has been plotted against Ahaz. And remember, Ahaz has no spiritual background per se, except that which his parent, father, or grandfather had. He is acting out of the secular. He's acting out of his own volition, his own knowledge, his own wisdom. Maybe he's listening to a few key people. I don't know. But then God tells Isaiah to tell Ahaz, this is what the word of God says. It will not happen. It will not occur. So the king's got everybody inspecting every weakness of the city in case they, they, the armies come against them. And in walks a prophet with his son. I don't know how old his son was, but I'm thinking if he's hand in hand, he's probably not 20-something years old because I don't know any 20-year-old guy wanting to hold their daddy's hand. Maybe he's a young, young child or young teen, whatever. But he's got his hand and he shows up. He says, this is not going to happen. Then he prophesies to Ahaz. He says, in 65 years, these two territories, these two individuals, these two territories will be reduced to rubble. They won't even exist. So quit worrying. I love it. In 65 years, they'll be gone. Whoa, this ain't 65 years from now. This is now, right? But God says, don't worry. Don't worry. Who are they? They're nobodies. But you got to remember, <laughs> he has no spiritual faith, no spiritual connectedness with God. And Isaiah leaves Ahaz with this thought, and he says, if you will not believe this word, then you will not stand at all. And I've got three things that I'll give you real quick. And the first one is simply this. God always has a word for you in the day of your trouble. Always. Always. Now I'm saying God does. Now here's the problem with so many people in church today. They want to go to somebody else and get that word. Can I tell you what? You can stand up against the biggest devil and go say, thus saith my friend. This will not happen, and the devil will laugh at you. But when you get a word from the Lord, a promise out of his word, that comes alive, becomes the rhema, the living word inside of you, you can stand up to the biggest group of devils and say, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you propose. I'm telling you, the word of the Lord is true, and I'm standing on it. How many times has God used seemingly incidental things to remind us that he's there. Oh, I'm telling you, man. James, if I could run, I'd run. I'm telling you. <laughs> these, these two artificial knees and artificial hip don't run real good, but I'll tell you what. Inside, I'm running. I just take it that way. Okay. <laughs> How many times 
Has God taken the incident, something that's seemingly so incidental that smacks us right between the eyes, and all of a sudden you go, what was I thinking? What was I worried about? God! I mean, just God, Jesus. I mean, he reminds us he's handling more than we could see. He's, he reminds us he's not only involved, he's intervening, he's healing, he's directing. And if only we had eyes to see it and ears to hear it. Here is the ruler of a nation busy with his attendants, earnestly inspecting the security of the water supply to the city. And Isaiah walks up with his son hand in hand. And he says, I'm here with a word from the Lord. And I imagine Ahaz thinking, who are you? Right? Because this is like the first recorded thing of Isaiah being used. And, and, and if I'm wrong, I'll stand corrected, but I don't see it anywhere. And he goes, I have a word from the Lord. And you're thinking, who are you and who's the kid? But see, God doesn't do anything by accident. The names of people were given in Hebrew had meanings to them. And Isaiah means Yahweh is a strong salvation or a strong God. It's Yahweh is salvation. And Isaiah's son's name means a remnant shall remain. So Isaiah comes with his boy. He says, I have a word from the Lord. And basically he goes, you want to know our names? Because if I tell you our names, you'll know what the word of the Lord is. The Lord is a strong savior. He is a strong one. He is a strong God. He is a strong deliverer. And my son's name means there will always be a remnant. And I'm telling you, in this day and age in which we're li li living right now, there is a separating going on in the church in America today. And there are pastors that I know who are saying their people are leaving. They're filled with fear. And, and they, they're leaving their churches. They're closing their churches. I read the articles about them. But, I, but at the same time, I just read this week by, in a Christian magazine, they said, there's something we can't quite understand because among the up-and-coming generation, there are a number of firebrands. I said firebrands. I just read that in the book of Isaiah, firebrands. And they said, it's like they're, 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 they're seeing through the smoke. They're seeing through the smoke screen. They're seeing through the political uh, uh, nonsense. They're seeing through the religiosity. And they've got a hunger for God. And I'm like, whoa! <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, I was like, yeah! I mean, I was like, glory to God. It's like just the two of them standing there was God trying to remind Ahaz that I will always preserve my people. And so I felt the Holy Spirit told me to ask you a question. What has God been trying to get across to you lately that you've not been listening to hear? What are you fearful of? What's controlling your destiny? Is it God or is it fear? Whose word are you hearing? 
whose word will you believe? The word of God or the word of man? I got to move on. The second thing that I learned is God is always bigger than what you fear. Now, there will be those who will tell you that if you got fear, you don't have faith. I disagree with that. There is a healthy fear that God puts in you. If you don't believe me, go stand right out there in the middle of Johnston Street right now and stand there in front of all the facing traffic and go, I have no fear of anybody hitting me. We had to move the mailbox off the street because they kept hitting it over and over, destroying it. We had mirrors from cars laying in the ditch in front of our church. And I think, I'm thinking, how far off the shoulder do you have to be driving to hit a mailbox that's four feet back? And so I got Sam and Justin went out there, put another one in on the, look where it's at on the driveway. And it's been hit twice. So there's a healthy fear. I was taught as a child, don't play with fire. Don't play with fire. One time I said, I wonder why. Stuck my hand in the fire. I have a healthy fear of fire. Come on now. Some people will tell you that fear is not of God. There is, there is a the healthy fear that that makes us, that causes us to live with common sense, right? But mostly the fear that's out there is unhealthy. And, and Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 4 and 7. He said, take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoldering firebrands for the fierce anger of reason and Syria and the son of Ramallah. Firebrands. Firebrands. I looked this up just this morning. I said, Firebrands. Firebrands is a person who is passionate about a particular cause, typically inciting change and taking radical action. So, firebrands are usually those who are stirring up stuff and getting people to change and see things their way, to, like to overthrow, to cause an uproar or whatever. That's what he's talking about. He said, don't worry about these two firebrands. And then he goes on, he says, because of Syria and Ephraim, the son of Ramallah, have plotted evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its walls for ourselves, instead of king over them, the son of Tabeel. And thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. In other words, he's saying, there's no need to investigate the water system. There's no need to worry about your defenses. There's no need to make some stupid heroic decision at this time or, or questionable alliances. Here's what, here's what God is basically saying through Isaiah to the king. He's saying, Ahaz, don't you realize who you're dealing with? He's saying reason has jurisdiction over Jerusalem and Pekah has jurisdiction over Syria, but I, the Lord God, have jurisdiction over the world. That's what he was trying to get across to him. He said, you need to understand, I rule the world. He says, Syria and Israel are just smoldering stubs of, of firebrands. There's smoke, but there's no fire. And in 65 short years, they're going to be rubble. And he says, have you heard their pledge to conquer Judah? Now I will tell you all that will happen. Nothing. 
He said, let them boast. Let them proclaim. Let them stir up the trouble. Let them put it in the headlines. Let them tweet about it. Let them put it on social media. Let them put this fear and that fear and this thing and this thing and this thing. He said, I'm telling you what's going to happen. Nothing. Because I am the one who's in charge. I am the one who's in control. I am the one who rules the world. He said, stop living by sight and start believing that I am for you and that no one could come against you. You've got to learn to trust me. And I think that's the word the Lord is saying to the church and, and the world today, especially in America. You're going to have to begin to really trust God. It's in the difficult times that you're driven to your knees and all of a sudden you set aside the things that have been capturing your priorities and you're seeking God. And in that moment, you will have a, an Isaiah encounter where you will see the Lord high and lifted up and his glory fills the temple. And every time the angels cry, holy, 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 the doorposts of the temple are literally shaking. It's the same God. It's the same Lord who's on the throne today that was on the throne in the day of Isaiah and he's not changed we have a we have a greater understanding we have the word of God we need Jesus the Holy Spirit inside of us and yet we're living by the words that we're hearing out here and here and here and here let me ask you this do you believe this about God do you believe that he's for you and he's not against you? I'm telling you, that's what the enemy does. He comes along and goes, you can't believe what God's word says. You can't believe that. What, did he, what was the first thing he did when he, he came to Eve? The serpent came. He said, has God really said that? He said, well, God said if we do this, this will happen. That was the promise of God. And he said, but did God really say that? Did he really say that? Do you really believe that about God? What is it that you fear the most that's too difficult for God? Will you trust him when the chips are down, your resources are spent, and you're tired, and you're tense, and you're about to throw in the towel? He said, but why do I have to go that far? Because God knows how far we have to go before we understand who he really is. And then Isaiah adds an incentive right here that is so important. And this is the last point. He says, basically, if you don't fight the fight of faith now, everything in your life is going to come unglued. It's going to come unravel. Verse, verse 9 says, If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. So I looked that up in a few other translations and root words and things like that. And the NIV says it this way. It says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. But I love the New Living Translation. It said this, Pastor Johnson said, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. 
See, we think that somehow we can wait until trouble comes. We can wait until the moment when we need God and all of a sudden flip a magic switch or, or, or say a, a simple little prayer or whatever and God is there. Can I tell you, this is the time to be building the foundation. This is the time to be digging out the footage. This is the time to be taking down everything that doesn't belong. This is the time to clean house. This is the time that God's building his church for the last days. And it's those who know their God that will do great exploits. But they got to know him. I have no doubt he knows me, but do I know him? The Bible says if you're going to boast in anything, don't boast in your possessions, don't boast in your, your, who you are, don't, and, and, and all of those things. He said, but, but, but no, boast in this, that you are known by the Lord God. <laughs> boast in that. He knows who I am. But what's even greater is that I know who he is. And every day, every day that goes by, he reveals himself even more, even more. When was the last time you learned something new about the Lord? When was the last time he showed you something new that you never knew before? Can I tell you, if you ever get to the place where you think you got it all figured out, you don't have anything figured out. <laughs> he said, my ways are not your ways. My, my ways are so much higher than you. Look, we got to reach up to touch bottom. And, and, that, and, and God says, you still can't, you know, get to the bottom where I'm at. I mean, he just, he's so much higher than us. If we don't stand firm in God and his word, we won't stand. If we don't nail down our confidence in God beyond the circumstances, if we don't hold fast to the one who made the controls, made and controls our life and the things that happen in it, you're just winging it. You're just, you're just, you're just floating from day to day trying to figure out what to do. And that's why the church, he says, he says in your people, he said, are, are like the trees being blown back and forth by the wind. And God is trying to take that out of his church. He's trying, it's one thing to be flexible and follow the Holy Spirit. It's another thing to be tossed to and fro about by the things that are happening in the world today. The world's being shaken and God's people are on the sure rock. This is not a time of shaking for, for us in our faith. It, it should be the time that we stand and say, I know in whom I believe. I know. Whew. God is telling Ahaz, if you will not trust me, you will not make it. But if you will lean on me, you will get all the help you need. If you will depend on me, I will meet you right where you are. That's the best part. Because Ahaz was not spiritual. And yet God sent a prophet to the man who had no relationship with God. And he sends and says, if you'll trust me, you'll switch your alliances to your own strength, your own resources, your own thinking, your own counselors, and come back to me. I'll meet you where you are, and I will defend you, and I will fight for you. Can I tell you, our God is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chances. I mean, and, and, but it shouldn't be that we have to keep going back, going back, going back, going back. We ought to just say, God, I'm yours. I'm all yours. Everything about you, God, I'm giving it all to you. Here I am. God, I'm letting go of all this junk. I'm getting, letting go of all this thing. The Bible says that we're running a race. You can't run a race carrying 80 pounds of junk on your back. 
Well, you can, but you ain't going to finish. He says, get rid of, the, the, of those things, the sin that so easily besets us. Get rid of all of that. God was calling Ahaz to align himself spiritually. He's saying, I'm with you. I'm with you always. If you will come to me, I will not forsake you. Had a girl Sunday night show up in church, and she was demon-possessed. Had been brought up in church, walked away from God, got involved in the occult, got in, involved in black magic, got involved in all kinds of junk, and she came up and wanted deliverance, and she wanted someone to just lay hands, get it out of her. I said, no, we're gonna have a serious talk. And every time she tried to rebuff me, I just rebuffed her back with the word. I rebuffed her back with the word. I came back with the word. And finally she said, well, I'm mad at God. I said, why? He said, because he left me. I said, he didn't walk away, you walked away. Devil, you're a liar. And she just, her face looked at me and twitched. And, and it was almost like I could picture that word all of a sudden was chiseling through the locks that had been rusted over and the chains that had bound her. I said, that's a lie out of the pit of hell. God's never left you. His word says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you even to the end of the age. That is a lie. And she, she sat there and, and she looked at me and I said, I'm ready. Come on. I said, I ain't afraid to cast out devils. And she looked at me and she said, but, but nothing. I said, that's a lie. She said, what's a lie? But. She said, that's a lie. I said, yeah, that's a lie. I said, God's word doesn't change. Not for you, not for anybody. And she looked at me and she said, and I said, oh, here it come. Here it come. And everybody else in the church had walked out. They had warned me. She's demon possessed. She's going to want you to lay hands on her. I said, I ain't laying hands on her. I said, I'm just going to speak the word. I said, because the devil hears the name of Jesus and trembles. I said, the demons hear the word, and that is Jesus, and they will tremble. I said, I'm not laying hands on her. I said, it says, cast them out. It said, it says, lay hands on the sick. It said, it doesn't say lay hands on the demon possessed. Listen, I learned my lesson one time in college. I laid hands on a little old woman, 185 pounds, sopping wet. She was possessed of devils. I didn't know that. She gave a message in tongues that was demonic. And the pastor knew that, stood up in front of a thousand people, said, I rebuke that word in the name of Jesus. I plead the blood over everyone. Someone grab that woman. I was being obedient. I was 18 years old, she's right in front of me. I think, what could she do? I just grabbed her like that, and the devil's inside of her. She slung me and folding chairs all over the place. Took nine men to hold her down. It was like you'd grabbed hold of a bobcat. And she's like, wow! It took nine people to take her to the back room and cast the devils out of her. And later on, she came out and gave her testimony. So I learned, I don't need to put my hand on a devil-possessed person. I just need to speak the word at them. And so I said, that's a lie. And every time she'd open her mouth, I said, that's a lie. And she, I said, why? She, well, how do you, I said, that's a lie. Because everything the devil says is a lie. He's the father of lies. 
You're a liar. I said, and God's word is true. And in Jesus' name, I command you to come out. And she, and then all of a sudden, she was facing me like this. To say this was the, there was the communion table here. And I, she was right there, and I was right here. I said, no, it's not. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. All of a sudden, she turned this way, fell to her knees, and began weeping and calling out to God for forgiveness. And, and she, she said, I renounce. I renounce my connection with witchcraft. I renounce my connection with voodoo. I renounce my connection with black magic. I renounce every un, uh, un, uh, unholy sexual. I mean, this went on for like 20, 25 minutes. My wife was sitting over here praying in the Holy Ghost. And I said, there's more. And, and all of a sudden she'd look at me, down she'd go. And then she'd start confessing and confessing and confessing and confessing. I said, there's more. And then she'd go down until she was flat on the ground, brother, brother, brother Tiger. She flat on the ground, laid out like this going, Jesus, come into my life, Jesus. And she sat up again speaking in tongues. I'm telling you. See what? And you say, was it real? Oh, oh yeah. You should have been there. Yeah, where were you? You should have been there. See, God just telling Ahaz, if you align yourself with me, I'll never leave you. I'll fight the battles. I'll be your protector. I'll be. I'll be there. And he's. He was asking him. Quit being a follower of people. Quit being a politician and be a follower of God. He's, he, he said, quit being a man who lives by sight and be a man who lives by faith. Quit being a man who trusts in his own abilities and start being a man who believes and trusts in God. And, I, and, and then God, out of, out of Isaiah, gives a promise that is so incredible. If it wasn't in the word of God, I wouldn't believe that it's there. But I don't have time to tell you, so you'll have to come next Sunday to hear that part. But here's the question I'm going to close with. And that is this. God's promise is the only sign you need. See, we want God to give us a sign. God, give me a sign. Give me a sign. Give me a sign. Give me a sign. But can I tell you, if God gave you a promise... In fact, we had, I think it was two weeks ago I told you we read it that God, God said, because I am who I am, I swear by who I am that I will do this. In other words, there was no higher authority he could swear by that promise. He said, by my name, I will do this. And when God has given you a promise, you don't need any other sign. And I know how the enemy works. We get tired, we get beat down, and we get weary, and we, we get discouraged, and we get ready to quit. We get ready to throw in the towel, and we get ready to say, God, I can't go anymore. And, but did God give you a promise or not? If God gave you a promise, that's the only sign you need. It's the only sign you need. It's what Christmas is all about. God gave a promise through Isaiah. And it was fulfilled through Jesus. What more sign do you need for God 
gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If Jesus coming down from heaven is not a sign enough for you, then there is no sign that will convince you otherwise. And I feel led to pray in two different ways. If there are people here today and you'd be honest, forget about who you came with or who you're sitting with, and you'd be honest and say, Pastor, I'm like Ahaz. I've been trying to run my life on my own wits, on my own smarts, on my own resources. And to be honest, I'm at the brink. It's like I'm always scrambling, trying to get out of this situation or scrambling to get out of this situation or whatever. But, but I realize that I'm gonna be like that the rest of my life unless I accept the God who loved me so much that he gave his only son. I am ready to receive Jesus Christ into my life. I'm ready to surrender my life, give him control of my life, because that's what it means. This is not a get out of hell free card. This is not something you stick in your wallet or your pocketbook and go, oh, when I stand before God, I get to pull out this card and go, oh, I got one of these. No. This is surrendering to him and saying, my life is yours. My life is yours. And now if I'm speaking to you, I'm gonna ask you to do something very bold and that is just simply stand. I'm not gonna call you forward, but I'm gonna ask you to stand right where you're at so I can pray with you. I don't know everybody here. I don't know where you stand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being bold and courageous. So you've been scrambling, trying to do it all on your own. Can I tell you, that's a, that's a no-win situation. God is for you. I wish somebody had told me that earlier in my life. I was taught that every bad thing that happened was God getting me back for all the bad stuff I had done. I had no idea that God was for me. Right now, those of you who are standing, I want you in your own manner, just pray these words with me. There's nothing magical or mystical or spiritual about the words, but if it comes from the heart, if it's just something you're just saying because I'm telling you to say it, then you might as well just sit down and not even say it. But you're ready to surrender. Thank you. Thank you. There's another one. You're ready. Would you pray with me right now? Dear God in heaven, I come to you this day and I surrender. I surrender all of my life. I surrender to you everything. I've made a mess of my life and my plans are not very good. But your word tells me that you are for me and you are not against me. You sent your son to pay the price for my sins that I might be cleansed and made right with you. 
Dear Jesus, forgive me now of all my sins. I surrender my life, every portion of my life, every part of my life, I surrender to you. In your name I pray. Now Holy Spirit, come, teach me, guide me, direct me in all truths concerning Jesus. In his name I pray, amen, amen. And right now in heaven, there are angels rejoicing. I said there are angels rejoicing. How great is our God. Oh my, 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 I'm telling you this. There's a dancing going around the throne like you cannot believe. In fact, the Bible tells us in one place that the angels in the presence of the Father are rejoicing, but there's another place that says that in the presence of the angels there is rejoicing. And I believe that's the Father and Son who are rejoicing also in the presence of their angels. And, and Father's looking at Son and saying, good job. You did. Here's another one. Another one for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Let's give God praise one more time. Come on. Now, you can be seated, those of you who stood, but I'm going to pray one other thing. And this is that I, I told you at the end that God's promise is the only sign that you need. And you've been standing on the promise and you've been waiting and 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 waiting. Somebody said, stop saying waiting. <laughs> yeah, waiting and waiting and waiting. And you say, but why am I waiting? Because you haven't learned. You haven't, you haven't learned yet something. But not only that, you have to understand God's working on the other end of the promise. He's got to get you ready to receive and surrender. And he's got to work on the other party. God never will force somebody to the altar. He's not going to say, well, they prayed, you got to go. But he will bring them to a crossroads. He'll bring them to a place where they've got to make a decision and they've got to make a choice. And some of you have been standing on promises and looking for a sign. I'm telling you today, the promise is your sign. How many of you got a promise you've been standing on and you're still waiting to see it happen? I want you to stand. I want you to stand. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't be, don't, don't be shy about it. You've been standing on, you've been waiting. God gave you a promise. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. We've been seeing God fulfill promises in the last several months. I mean, people, people have been being prayed for for years and years. All of a sudden, they're coming in, and they're coming by not just one or two or three. They're coming in groups. I mean, God's doing miracles. And you're standing on a promise. And if I could tell you anything, every Christmas light you see, every silver bell that you hear, every, I'm telling you, if you just understand that Christmas, God is God's season of showing you his sign. 
The fulfillment of his promise was the coming of his son. And this Christmas, that weariness has been on you, that heaviness that's been on you. You've been concerned. You've been carrying around a weight that was never meant for you. I want you to throw it off this morning. I want you to let it go. And I want you in this Christmas season, when you hear the Christmas songs and the Christmas colors and the bells and everything else, let it be a reminder to you that God's promise to you is the only sign you need and he is faithful to complete it. I said he is faithful to complete it. He is faithful to complete it. Hallelujah. I can hear it now. Can you hear it now? I hear it. I hear it. You say, what do you hear? I hear like change in direction. I hear it. Mm. Glory be. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray in your in the name of your son. Father, the promise that you've given is all we need. It's all that we need. The sign is all we need. But God, let this Christmas season, let this season that we've entered into, let it be a fulfillment of many of those promises. The time is now. The time is short. The ability, God, for you to save to the uttermost is not lost. It is not over. You are the same today as you were yesterday, and you'll be the same tomorrow. Holy Spirit, go after them. Bring them home. Bring home our loved ones. Bring home that prodigal child. Bring home reconcile. We prayed it this morning. Reconcile relationships. Sunday. I sense the Holy Spirit saying some of you have failed to see the fulfillment because you've been trying to figure how I'm going to do it and how I will bring it to pass. And that is not trust. You're asking to see the answer before you will trust me. And God said, you've got to learn to trust me and then you'll see the answer. You've got to let me do it my way. Ooh, somebody needs to hear that. <laughs> Quit trying to help God. Quit trying to help God bring about the fulfillment of the promise. It didn't work for Abraham and Sarah. You've got to trust him. You've got to trust him. And every devil that gets in your way who says, I don't see nothing. I don't see anything yet. God must have lied. What's your response going to be? I have his promise. I have his word. And God never changes. I say God never changes. I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded against that day. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. Come on, church. Come on. 
streets Yes, I know that he can do it Yes, I know that he can do it We'll see glories fill the nations Like the world has never seen Yes, I know that he can do it Yes, I know that he can do it But if you believe that God is able to heal right now, I want you to move out of your seat right now. Keep your hands up if you need if you need a healing in your body. I want you to keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. The rest of you, look around. Look around. Look. There's somebody over here who needs someone to lay hands on them. Come on. Come on. There's a bunch over here. There's a lady right here. Anybody else? Lay hands. I want you to speak to that sickness. I want you to command that sickness to come out. In Jesus' name. You say, I don't know if it will happen. Let me tell you, I didn't tell you this at the beginning of service. <laughs> but God's healing power is here. His healing power is here. All day yesterday afternoon and last night, I had a headache like I've never experienced before. I've had headaches across the front of my forehead. I've had headaches at the back of my neck. But this one was right down this side of the top of my head. It felt like somebody had split my head open. It hurt so bad. I came home from the football game, UL game last night. I said, I need some caffeine. Maybe that'll help the headache. That didn't help anything. I took two ibuprofen. That didn't do anything. I took another ibuprofen. That headache didn't go out, so I'm going to bed. I woke up this morning, my head was splitting, Brother Josh. It just felt like right here, somebody just hit it with an ax. And it was hurting. And I said, God, I know you can heal, I know you can heal, I know you can heal. I know, I know, I know. And, the, and the Lord said, go get your wife to lay hands on you. Now my wife's been suffering with this coughing crud for a week and a half, almost two weeks now. But I walked in, the den and I said baby pray for me please I was in tears I said I gotta go to the church but my head's about to split she laid hands on me and just prayed that simple prayer and it was hurting still when I got up and the enemy said go take two ibuprofen and I said I went over there I said no was that sin no but we just prayed and I said, I agree with God's word that my wife just declared over me. And in the worship time, the pain went away and it's not come back. I'm telling you. See, the enemy works against us. And it's, it's the little things. I'm just telling you that I'm, there's nothing wrong with medicine. Don't get me wrong. But I said, we had just prayed. 
And he tell me, go take two pills. That'll help make it go away, Brother James. Well, no, we just prayed. And I came over here with my head hurting and I was trying to smile and talk to people, but my head was about to split open. And when we started worshiping over there, I just stood up. Something, something said, sit down. And I said, I'm gonna stand up. And they said, well, sit down. You gotta preach later. You gotta stand a long time. I said, I'm gonna stand up and worship God. And as I was just worshiping God, I felt that, that, that thing just begin to move and it's gone. It's been gone the whole time. I'm healed. I know I am. I know I am. Just like I was eight or 10 weeks ago when I was here and had been sick for six weeks, I stood here, I've been healed ever since. I've been eating jalapenos like they're going out of style. <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, God is still a healing God. He's still a delivering God. He's still a miracle working God. That is the God in whom we serve. Father, we praise you and we bless you today. We thank you for the truth of your word. It's the word of God. The word that sets us free. In Jesus' name, we leave this place empowered and emboldened of the Holy Spirit and his word. God, I send them now into the mission field that you called them to. Let them act boldly for you because of who you are. You've not failed them now. You're not gonna fail them tomorrow. And your word will always be true. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Hope to see you Wednesday night.